0: Confidence has so much to do with humility, I think. I think that people confuse confidence with like an arrogance or knowing everything. But to me, confidence is actually putting up your hand and saying, I don't know. Like, I respect that so much more than somebody who walks in a room and pretends to have all of the answers. I think that so much confidence actually comes from not knowing. Confidence comes from curiosity, which I think I mentioned before. Confidence comes from empathy.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Kate, and this is the Freelance Founders Podcast, where we talk to creatives who have designed their own careers. We're so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible journeys with you. Welcome to the Freelance Founders Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with founder of OK Real and Consultant, Amy Frazier. Welcome, Amy. We're so thrilled to have you here today. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having
0: me. I'm really excited to speak with you today.
1: Well, we first always ask all of our guests if they could just take us through their careers. So what has been your career and
0: where are you today? Oh, a big question. I I'm from New Zealand. I think the context of where I am kind of lends itself to my career trajectory. So born and raised in New Zealand, moved to New York when I was tender age of kind of 21 or 22 and worked in branding agencies. My background was in communications and while I was there I started after a few years of working for various companies and having the privilege of being surrounded by a lot of really fantastic women. I started to look at these women who were, you know, my superior and think, how have they built this life for themselves that looks like the kind of life that I might want to have one day? From there, I started building out a website where I essentially interviewed women who had really interesting stories to tell and who had built great lives for themselves. And what started out as a website full of interviews turned into a business for me. So through kind of telling these stories of women, we started to partner with brands who then wanted to also showcase women who aligned with their brand values and create a community around that. And so I started a business called OK Real. This was 2014. And over the past, oh God, is that a decade ago? Is that <laughs> it was a very long time ago? That has evolved considerably. So we started out doing panels in partnership with brands that led to mentorship circles. And then that Developed into career coaching. And I ended up moving back to New Zealand at the end of 2017, continued to travel back and forth to New York. And then obviously, COVID happened. And so that changed the nature of my business inherently. I've moved more into a space where I now work with brands on a consulting level, as I was mentioning to you, kind of offline. And I still travel to New York. Thankfully, now that our borders are open and the world is returning to some f- version of normalcy, but I really do a range of things. Something I also mentioned to you, this is the first podcast I've spoken on where you know I'm kind of going to talk about how okay, real, I'm kind of hanging it up, so to speak, and um looking back on it as more of a portfolio project, a business I once built, but is no longer in action in the same way it was. So you've caught me at a really interesting, I guess inflection point in my career. One that I don't think has spoken about enough in the general zeitgeist of the way that people talk about their careers and how sometimes it is the time to move on and when you know how to know when that is. To your point, we do see that
1: a lot of people don't talk about changing their career paths at any age. It's a really interesting time, I think, for a lot of people. And I think it also came from, stemmed from COVID and some people really having to pivot their careers and find Other things that they're interested in because their main career, they weren't able to actually be successful in that because of the limitations that they had faced during COVID. I mean, I know personally for myself, I had to do some pivoting. I have a fashion background. Fashion kind of came to a halt at that point. You know, there was a lot of reshuffling happening and everybody was pivoting within the different industries of like, how do we get out of this? So I'm excited to be talking to you about this today and hearing more about what's to come. I do want to touch upon, you know, OK Real. So could you please tell us why you started OK Real and why you decided to go out on your own? Well,
0: it really started from a curiosity. And I think something that that has taught me is that I think so often we overlook things like curiosity or an inkling or intuition that we have, especially when when we are younger but it's really important to pay attention to those things that you are naturally gravitating towards. And for me, that was storytelling. And it was looking at others who I respected and admired and creating a resource, not just for myself, but for other people who were in that same plight of trying to figure out what was next for them. And so it was during a time where the internet was, blogs were a thing, but it was more kind of street style blogs. It was and um, into the gloss, which was all about, you know, makeup and beauty. And, and I couldn't figure out why there wasn't something similar in that vein that spoke to women's challenges and told real stories, not just about entrepreneurship, but about the things that were really difficult, about how they overcame those difficult things. And so my goal was to really provide this resource of wisdom for women and to form the world of okay, real through those women's voices. And I really wanted to help others. I wanted to help myself, but I also thought that this was knowledge that could be of use to other women in their mid-20s who were trying to figure out what kind of life they wanted to build. And so that's why I started it. And it really turned into this community of women who were not just looking to ironically, further themselves, but also were really invested in the success of the women around them. We also happened to launch this, or I kind of brought this to life right at the point where women started to become very popular. In 2014, it was kind of the start of that wave of neo-feminism that started to happen. And we just kind of rode that wave and was also at the point where brands were starting to look at different ways of marketing. So kind of in-person activations were becoming a thing. I mean, now they're, you know, everybody does events, but 2013, 2014, it wasn't such a popular way of getting through to an audience. I mean, Instagram had just really started to kick off at that point. So it was a really special time and the way that it developed has also just completely informed everything I do now from seeing the way that women congregate and the way that women form community and how relationships are so important in your career as a woman and in your life. I really wanted OK Real to fill that gray space or speak to the space that we all kind of exist in where, you know, some of us choose to have families, some of us choose not to have families, some of us choose to have the big career, some of us choose to not. And I think the media at that time spoke to women in very binary ways. You were either a hardcore career woman or you were a hippie or you were a stay-at-home mother or you were this. And I don't think that we all necessarily exist on those extreme ends of the spectrum. I think we have little pieces of all of that within us. And so I wanted OK Real to be, to reflect that. That's kind of the ethos and where it started and how it, and it kind of has continued in that way, even to what I do now in terms of community building.
1: OK Real obviously really champions women to value themselves in their lives and careers. What values do you share with the OK Real community?
0: I think the value set of, always come through and not so much values that I've shared, but values that have come through in terms of what has been important to our community and what they have shared, I guess. There's definitely a theme of ambition, resilience, and agency deciding to own whatever path that you are carving out for yourself and integrity, you know, good people. I think also community
1: plays such a big part in industries, but also in today's world. How do you think communities play into our world today? And where do you see communities
0: evolving over the next few years? This is a really interesting question because I think that back in the day, like back in the OK Real heyday, I had no money. I had no skills around like I didn't know how to build a community I just treated people in a way that made them feel valued and then slowly you build that up to scale and then what we've seen in the past 10 years in the past decade has been this shift from a quality group of people to obviously like a a numbers-based metric so Instagram got really big and that became capitalized through Instagram essentially. And so everybody wanted to see those huge numbers. And, you know, I'm thinking more like this is kind of like 2018, 2017, like that era. And then I would say in the past few years that people have become more savvy around that. Brands understand that a huge number count or like following doesn't equate to engagement. So we're starting to see, you know, you can kind of see, that arc and the drop and all of that. And in terms of how that's impacted the way that people can interpret community today, I think people are confused. And when I say people, I think I'm referring to people who are trying to start brands and then corporates as well. And I think what your average daily, like consumer understands is that community really great community actually starts really small and people are seeking out these different platforms and like these little corners of the internet. People don't find community in Instagram anymore. People want to congregate around niche passions or interests and they want to be surrounded by like-minded people and they don't care whether the community has 100,000 people. They just want to be surrounded by people who can help them. The tricky part here is that brands are seeing that. They're like, oh, you know, people want this niche experience, this more intimate experience. How do I provide that? And so I see a lot of conflict in the way, in in terms of what people want and what what is available to them. But in terms of building a community, there's no easy way. And I think you have to recognize the high touch experience that is required to build an authentic community, which is a lot of manual outreach, it's a lot of hand holding. It's all the stuff that I was doing for OK Real in the early days.
1: I think, though, for your platform, what you said a bit earlier, too, it's like bringing together different female founders or different women in different industries and having them all come together and really champion them together, which is really a community within itself. I'm starting a company myself right now and I have a lot of founders that I'm working with and just like the encouragement, the like kindness, the time that they take just to get on a call with me is means so much to me. It means more than anything because that excites me having those conversations, supporting each other on projects that we're working on or partnerships that we want to do together. I think a lot of the issues is that brands also want it to happen overnight. They want that community to instantly grow from zero to a million. It's not an authentic community. Absolutely. And I think
0: we're in a, at a point where people are trying to figure out how to capture that feeling again mm-hmm. while also make money. It's an interesting time.
1: Yeah, it really is. I would love to hear what were some of your biggest challenges that you faced when launching OK Real. Definitely
0: how to monetize because I was building this like really beautiful collection of stories and voices and which took so much time. And, you know, I wasn't working with a photographer or an editor or an intern. It was just me reaching out to as many people as I could, doing the interviews, recording them, editing them. It was a very time consuming thing to build. And of course I was working other jobs. And paying for this to build it. Figuring out how to make money from it was really hard for me. And somebody said, Oh, you know, the first hundred dollars will be the hardest you'll ever make. And they were right. Figuring out a structure, like a fee structure around a product that people didn't quite understand, but they knew they wanted it. People would come to me and be like, Oh, we want you to help us with this event. And I'd be like, Great, that's going to be $10,000. And they'd be like, Oh, why? so creating value around really a feeling that people were trying to capture, you know, they wanted people to walk into that room and feel like, Oh, this is why I like Nike, but it's really hard to put words or a container around that when you're selling it through to the marketing manager. So I think that was difficult for me. And we finally got the, you know, we got the swing of it, but it was a very new thing. People were kind of like, I know that I want this, but I don't know how much it's worth. But all of that came with time. All of that came with time, figuring out how to cost certain services, figuring out how much my time was worth.
1: Yeah. When starting a new company, you do run into those blockades or those challenges because it's new for you as well as a founder. You're also working through it. As freelancers, we're our own bosses, so it can be really hard for like our community, the freelance founders community to measure their success. We don't have like the traditional raises and promotions and title changes. What are some ways you helped the OK real community build self-worth and resilience as we work towards finding
0: fulfillment in our own careers? Self-worth has been a huge foundational value or um, kind of catalyst for the business at large. And over time I was, you know, you're always kind of rewriting your slogan or like your, you know, what is this business about? And you're forever iterating that. So, okay, real is a platform that helps women do this. And then six months later, I'd be like, well, does it do that? Or does it do this? And what I started to see was that every story of success. And when I say success, I don't necessarily mean making all the money. I mean, success in the way of, you know, really defining what that fulfillment meant for that certain woman and how she achieved it and was underpinned by self-worth. And what became really prevalent to me was that without self-worth, we have nothing. So it is the prerequisite to doing anything good. It is the prerequisite to fulfilling any sort of, to having the dream in the first place. And it's the prerequisite to then fulfilling that dream. So how did I offer tools? Well, Again, the story, like sharing the stories. I think that women look to other women. We've done this for generations. There's a reason why the term, you know, old wives tales exists because we, we learn through storytelling. We always have. And so sharing how one woman got through something, I think that validates other people who might think that she, who might've like placed a certain woman on a pedestal and to hear that she went through something that they too are going through, that validates people, that makes them feel capable because they can, They have that representation. So representation was always a huge part of what we did, showing people who were maybe otherwise marginalized, who had refused to adhere to a certain stereotype. Following that, we facilitated programs that then, I guess, reinforced those those mechanisms. So the mentorship circles, for example, we would gather women weekly in a room for a few hours and hook them up with other like-minded women who would then share what they were going through. And they'd all walk away with not just kind of a new group of friends, but like an action list. And if you have access to a powerful group who believe in you, you can literally do anything. And that's what we gave people.
1: I love that. I think that that's so important and I think there needs to be, I feel like there needs to be more of that. But again, it's finding those different types of communities. What kind of advice would you have for freelancers who want to set healthy boundaries and portray confidence in their creative expertise?
0: Healthy boundaries is really hard when you love what you do. I think recognizing that investing in other areas of your life are only going to inform what you do and enrich it. I think that we feel guilty for taking time off, but all of those experiences are going to benefit your perspective, your insight, the way you handle your career. So looking at the different areas of your life as, you know, diversifying your areas of fulfillment in the same way that they recommend, if you want to be a millionaire, diversifying your um, streams of revenue, it's the same with your life. I think having children for me, I was always really worried that that was going to take away from my career. And it absolutely has in certain ways. Like I don't want to mislead, mislead the people. Becoming a mother has hugely impacted my career, but it's also informed it in ways that it's made me a better person. And anything that makes you a better person is going to make you a better business person. And then in terms of confidence. Confidence has so much to do with humility. I think, I think that people confuse confidence with like an arrogance or knowing everything. But to me, confidence is actually putting up your hand and saying, I don't know. Like I respect that so much more than somebody who walks in a room and pretends to have all of the answers. I think that so much confidence actually comes from not knowing confidence comes from curiosity, which I think I mentioned before confidence comes from empathy. So you know, looking at the person next to you and saying like, being able to have the maturity to see a different perspective, all of that builds confidence in a really genuine way. Focus less on being this like big glitzy entrepreneur and focus more on being a good person. I would have to agree with that. I think people
1: tend to lose the vision of why they're doing what they're doing. And they come in really trying to prove everybody wrong and not focus on why they got into the industry or why they started the business that they started because they're caught up in comparing themselves to their peers. So I do think it's so important to kind of come in. That confidence is almost like a silent confidence inside of you. You know what I mean? Like you have the confidence in the sense that to your point, You're willing to come in and learn about something or you come in and say, I don't understand that or can you explain this to me? And having that humility, I think, helps you shape where you want to go with that level of confidence. And I think that that, to me, is the biggest reward, not about making the money or scaling this business, but having that confidence of being able to say yes or no and having that decisive trusting myself and gaining that trust, which I think definitely comes with time. You're not going to have that right off the bat when you become a freelancer or you become a founder. It comes over time because of the decisions or the mistakes that you make.
0: Yeah. And you learn so much more from your challenges than you do from your victories.
1: I 100% agree. I would love to hear what's next for you. What are you working on?
0: This is so funny because I was You know, when I emailed you the other day and I said, this will be really interesting because kind of decided and I was literally just brushing my teeth and I was like, you know what? I need to hang okay real up and be like, this was something I did once. And I guess it's been brewing for a while in the way that we've got this beautiful website, which ironically we launched like the day before COVID hit and we still partner with brands who I think want to leverage that community, but I don't post on the Instagram. I'm not operating through, you know, okay, real as a community anymore. And I think what it really comes down to is that I built that business to serve others. And the part of me that wants to hang on to it is my ego and the way that I spent so many years of my career, like building that out from blood, sweat, and tears. There's a huge part of me that's like, are oh, you just going to let it go now. But I think the shift has been, you're going to let it go now. None of it has been in vain because everything, I mean, what's quite funny is that everything that I'm doing now is essentially what I would be doing for OK Real anyway, in terms of community building. The difference is that I'm just helping other companies do that. If you looked at my calendar right now, like my work calendar, what I have on, I'm currently consulting for a company called DM. It's a tech startup based in New York very small team of women who are building essentially a a, a database of knowledge for women. So very aligned with what I've done in the past. Um, The beauty of this is that I've never worked in tech before. So it's a huge learning curve for me. How do you build a digital community? So very passionate about what we're building at DM. It's going to be very exciting the next six months. And I'm also working with a number of companies to do digitally based talks. So panels, all of that kind of thing, but online. And I still do career coaching. So I've got kind of scattered clients all over the world who I work with one-on-one and then speaking engagements and things like that. So I've got this really lovely variety of work that I'm doing right now. And it's funny because every kind of client that I get or every connection that I make all come back to, okay, real days, they seem to anyway, which is really nice. And that's, that's, I guess what it was for, you know, everything prepares you for the next step. That's really lovely. I think too, it's
1: really interesting for you to see just like the fact that you haven't worked in tech before. So you have your new challenge ahead of you of learning that space and teaching yourself about that world and making new connections. And then also doing more familiar work, Of the talks and the mentorships, which is and the coaching, which is incredible. It sounds like you have a really exciting new journey ahead of you.
0: I hope so. I think so. (laughs) I'm sure it will be. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? 20 is so young. 20 is like baby baby. I would just say you're doing everything right. You're doing everything right. Don't worry. I have so much empathy for that younger version of myself. I think it's easy to look back and say, don't do this or you're doing this wrong because that's all you're thinking at the time. But I would just say, you've got the most exciting wild ride ahead of you, like buckle up (laughs) and just keep doing what you're doing. It's all going to work out. What
1: are some boundaries you have set for yourself to maintain a healthy work-life balance?
0: Oh my God. I, I am terrible with boundaries. I think further to my point, I l- really love what I do and I've always found it hard to switch off. My work is so intertwined with kind of who I am. However, having kids has forced me to have boundaries. So they have, my children have enforced boundaries. It's been no noble act of my own just in the way that, you know, when they wake up at six, I can't sit on my phone and just write emails for the next two hours before my day starts, which is what I used to do. Uh, my kids get up; they own me until eight thirty when I drop them off, and then I can work. But I have to pick them up at five, so I have to <laughs> I have to stop because when you throw children into the mix, you have an entirely new full time job on top of your other full time job, and it presents a slew of challenges that I don't know how to deal with because I'm fresh and I'm in a very busy time when you have small children and you are working, it's hugely difficult. It's more difficult than anything I've ever done in my career. So that, I think, in terms of boundaries, it's like how do I stay sane and figure out who I am anymore with these kids and this new life in New Zealand? So the boundary for me has been figuring out what the boundary is. I, I, you know, you have to really recreate and rebuild yourself as a woman after you become a mother. And so for me, I'm like learning what those boundaries are. I don't even know what they are yet. I'm breaking all of the boundaries a hundred percent. And I, I guess my advice or what I would offer to anybody in a similar situation is like, just accept that it's going to be a mess for a few years because it will be unless you have like five nannies. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: setting boundaries is hard, I think, for anybody, no matter what i I struggled. I know so many freelancers in our community have struggled setting boundaries with clients or with person in their personal life, and a lot of people end up going out on their own because of financial reasons. How did you approach your financial strategy when
0: you decided to go out with okay real for me, I wanted to go out on my own because of what i I also laugh at this freedom. Anybody who started a business knows that there's no such thing as that when you <laughs> have to like all of a sudden make your own money. And over time, over time, you do have more power of your hours, the flexibility. You have the ability to set your own rates. Absolutely. But those things for me were so far. I mean, I'm talking like I've only kind of just in the past few years gotten to that point. You know, for the first five years of building my own business, I was broke as shit. I worked like a dog. I had no social life. You know, all I did in New York was work, was work. Like talk about no boundaries. It was really my grind, my grinding period. So my financial strategy was to not starve and to figure out how to pay rent. And then slowly I saw this need for brands or this desire from brands to have a little piece of what we could offer. And so then I had to put a price tag on it. And so I just kind of tweaked that price tag as years went on, as our community grew, obviously something that really helps me, which may help somebody else is figure out what makes you valuable, figure out what makes your company valuable. And not just in terms of what you think is valuable. What does your client see value in? What do they want? And you need to be able to name what those valuable things are. So for me, that was really hard. I couldn't say, well, it's going to cost you $5,000 for a vibe. So I had to figure out, well, what is that vibe? You know, and really break it down and really look at the benefits that were coming out of partnering with a company like ours. And so my financial strategy was based on the value I could offer others. And over time, our value grew. At the beginning, we had no value. And then you start realizing that your expertise are also worth more over time And so then you charge more for your time. It was a very intuitive process. And now I have a baseline of, okay, I need to make X amount a month. Where is this coming from? And working with people who have money, which is not always the case. I think when you're first starting out, you want to do things that with brands who can offer different kinds of value to maybe your portfolio of clients, or they might have a great connection. So Now I'm less about working for exposure as the memes go and I need to work for actual real money. (laughs) But, um, at 25, it was different. I'm 35. Now my needs are different. I'm just supporting children. I do not have the opportunity to fuck around with people who don't want to pay me properly. We talk so much
1: about value based pricing and how to really price yourself in our community because it's a constant conversation. Do you give yourself a raise, a 10% raise or a 15% raise at the end of every year? How do you do it? Does this make sense? Do I go hourly or do I do a monthly retainer or a day rate? These are all conversations that are still being had. And I think they will continue to be asked those because there's no one size fits all. Everybody has different skills. I really love what you said about like having that value that your client sees and being able to name those those values because we're still in a world where people don't understand the benefit of hiring a freelancer versus a full-time person. We always need to have these conversations and we also always need to support one another in in having those conversations we have a a Slack community and we have like an advice co- uh, chat. And without a doubt, we have so many questions around the pricing conversation. Or, you know, we have people who are new to the community and just gone freelance or are about to go freelance. And they always ask like, how did you set yourself up before you went freelance? I didn't do it the proper way at all. I was working, I was living in New York. I was working like one full time job and freelancing on the side. I didn't save enough money to cover six months of my expenses. I just did it one day, but also my company got sold. So I kind of just was like, well, this is better time than ever. I like to say that there's really no like right answer to it because everybody comes from different backgrounds and everybody comes, needs are different. You know, if you were to go freelance now or go off on your own now from going full time and you have kids, you probably would have approached it in a different manner than you did at 25. So for me, I feel like there's absolutely no right or wrong answer to this. And you're in a different space in your life, which is so exciting. And also you know your worth now more than ever. And especially now that you have two children that you pay for. So it's really interesting to hear that because we are, our group is, you know, evolving to having families as well. And and it's a really interesting conversation to have around around family and starting
0: families. I imagine that your demo is kind of in the bracket below me. And I think something that was so jarring is when you do introduce children to the mix is like you actually have to pay to go to work. And I still can't quite get my head around that. You know, you have to pay somebody else. If you want to go to work, you have to pay somebody to look after your kids. I mean, there are so many discussions now, especially after COVID and women bearing the brunt of, I think a lot of the unspoken, invisible labor that women do came to the forefront in the past few years. But if anybody wants to talk about what it means to have children when you are also working for yourself, I have a lot to say about that.
1: My last question for you, Amy, is what is one piece of advice you would give for anyone starting their own company?
0: My logistical advice is to get a good accountant. Don't try to handle that yourself. And my more philosophical advice, I'm not going to say anything groundbreaking here. This is really mundane, run-of-the-mill advice, but trusting your own intuition and knowing, knowing that you know best. I think that when you're starting out... You will have so many people tell you what to do, and you you will be seeking other people to tell you what to do as well. I know that I did. You have to find that balance between taking people's kind of wisdom on and not assuming that your direction is always going to be the right one. But at the end of the day, if something does not feel right, pay attention to that. And I think there are so many ways that I could have, you know, taken the business or people told me to do this or suggested like, you should do a paywall or you should do a thing. And any time it just like didn't feel right, I said, no. So you might not always know the right thing to do, but you'll always know the wrong thing. You're getting really good at listening to yourself in those moments of like, which way should I head? If something feels yucky, whether that's working with the client, whether that's, you know, we had a tobacco brand want to do this huge partnership and I could have really done with the money at the time but it just felt kind of off. I was like, oh, it's just not right. I can't do this. So, and that goes back to your values. You know, what do you value? What kind of business do you want to build? All of that lends itself to the kind of community you're going to attract. Your integrity as a brand. So I think having really strong values that you use as a filter, listening to yourself, something doesn't feel right, don't do it. And yeah, getting somebody to handle the money side of things because that can go haywire very quickly.
1: <laughs> Those are all really good pieces of advice. Amy, thank you so much for being here with us today. It was so great chatting with you.
0: Love speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you for listening to my chat with Amy Fraser. To find out more about Amy, visit her website, okreal.co. Be sure to check out our website, freelancefounders.com and follow us on Instagram at freelancefounders. We hope you'll share, subscribe, rate and review the Freelance Founders podcast, which is available for free on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you and have a great day.